everyone, this is Scott Ellis. I'm so glad that you have returned for the inaugural episode of 2024 and the first episode of season three. We're so excited to get this season started. Uh, we've got lots of interviews scheduled, so many projects in production this year already. We're also going to be starting a new segment called Small Business Spotlight. You know, authors are small businesses. So I'm going to talk about authors and small businesses when I explain this segment to you. The best thing, the best gift that you can give an author is to go back where you purchased their book and leave a review. You know, a good review, an okay review, heck, even a bad review. Books with reviews sell better than books without. Therefore, they're just looking for reviews. So be honest so that your authenticity comes through to the people who are reading those reviews and leave them. That's number one. Number two is whenever you see a small business or an author that is sharing some information on their social media pages, the best thing that you can do for them in that area is share those posts. Not saying you need to share every single one, right? But here's the bottom line. Marketing is so expensive. It is so difficult. It is so hard to get the product of your marketing seen by people. There's so much content being blasted at everybody every moment of every day that the money that we have as a small business owner or a small author to put toward marketing doesn't get us that big splash, that number of eyes on. So we really need your help. So here is my challenge for you for 2024. Pick one, two, or three small businesses that you really like and support and commit to sharing their ads. So the way that works is let's take Scott Ellis Reads, for example. I'd love it if you'd be one of if we would be one of the companies that you would support. But on our social media platform, we have a circle. It consists of our family, our friends, uh, our clients, authors, maybe listeners that really want to stay connected to what we're doing. And when we put out a post, those are the people that see it. So it's wonderful that they're kept in the know of what's going on, but it doesn't help growth. It doesn't help that small business expand to the next level. So when you share it, now all of your friends see it. And if you even go one step beyond and ask your friends to share it, then it goes exponentially on. And, you know, like that old thing about, you know, seven deviations away from Kevin Bacon or something like that. Do you remember that from the 90s? Well, who knows? At some point, maybe Kevin Bacon will start to see posts from Scott Ellis Reads. So that's my challenge to you. Commit to some of these businesses and share their posts. You know, the way I look at it is if you liked the business, maybe your friends and family would too. So do them the favor and let them know about some small businesses. All right, so I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to go first. All right. The first business that I am going to commit to supporting 
into 2024 and sharing their posts and helping them grow beyond their uh, immediate circle is Kenzie's Essentials. It's an all-natural beauty product line that is made with all-natural products and essential oils. It's a great company. I know the history of how it got started. And we actually use Kenzie's Essentials products in our business. Kenzie from Kenzie's Essentials has been kind enough to white label some products for us. So we have some lip balms that talk about getting your book made into audio with our logo on it or say thank you for working uh, uh, with us. We have some soaps that we give out uh, to clients that also have the Scott Ellis Reads logo on it, but are made by Kenzie's Essentials. So that's going to be my business. You can find them at Kenzie'sEssentials.com. You can find them on Facebook, uh, TikTok, all the platforms that you generally go to. And now, Mackenzie of Kenzie'sEssentials.com, you have to pay it forward now. So I have a standing invitation to you to appear on our new segment called Small Business Spotlight. We'll talk about your business and you will be able to recommend a small business for us to move to next. So that's the way that segment is going to work. That's the way 2024 is going to work and make sure that small businesses continue to work. All right, let's get on with today's interview. Well, I have to start today's interview with a bit of an apology. When Brian Nowak and I got together to do this interview, technology decided that it was going to have its way with us. So Brian sounds great through the whole interview, but my end of the interview, well, I had to rely on my backup recording uh, for getting that interview out and... um. Boy, the quality just isn't there. So you'll notice my quality is not what you're accustomed to, but, you know, you're really here to listen to Brian Nowak today. And uh, I jumped in a couple of times and, and did some overdubs. I made it pretty clear when I was speaking out of the initial interview, but uh, it's a great interview. He is a great writer and you're in for a treat listening to him and listening to a sample of one of his audiobooks, which was narrated by Tom Hare. So sit back, relax, welcome to 24, and thank you for your continued support. All right, on with the show. Well, here we are, another month, another episode of Let's Talk with Scott Ellis. And I'm so excited this month to have the sci-fi writer. No, 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 no. Scratch that. I'm so excited this month to have the mystery writer, Brian Nowak. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Scratch that. I'm so excited to have the horror writer this month, Brian Nowak, otherwise known as Brian the Writer. He's the author of The App, The Dramatic Dead. Crimson Tassels, and many, many, many others. Brian, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you for having me, Scott. I'm I'm <clears throat> so excited to talk to you today. How many pieces have you written? I know you've done short stories, you've done short novels, you've done full-length projects. Do you have a count? Uh, well, I think at this point I'm up to 12 novels, and I think I've lost track of short stories. We actually have another anthology coming out later on this year that I'm featured in, which was a charity anthology done for uh, Scares That Care. So uh, that's called The Dark Corners of the Old, Old Dominion. That's going to be very exciting. And that should be out sometime in September. So I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I'm busy. That's great. So you and I met, gosh, I don't know, was it two years ago at the time of, of I, this recording? I think it was about two. Actually, it was about two years ago this, this time of the year because it was a little yeah. chilly, as I recall. <laughs> well, that could be the Northeast any time of year. Yeah, really, no, right? that, that is that is true. <laughs> that that doesn't help me. Yeah, we met at the uh, Virginia Symposium, the Writers Symposium. I was yep. uh, there with Josie. We were talking about audiobooks, and and you stopped into our our uh, our seminar, if you will, and um, it was a, a great opportunity to to meet you. And, and you were talking about at the time that you had narrated a couple of your own books uh, for audio. So how many of these novels do you have in audio? Well, I, I do want to point out, though, that you say somewhat, you, you kind of dismissively say that uh, I stopped in. No, I saw you are, were on the schedule. And I'm like, I really, really need to talk to this guy because I desperately need help with my own projects. Um, yes, I, I did. I did go down the road of trying to do my own audiobook, and there's there's two things I learned right away. One, well, uh, so I, I have a, I'm, I'm recovering from a bit of a cold, so I'm I'm not quite back to proper voice right now. So I, I have a good voice for uh, podcasting. I actually have a fairly good reading voice, and I I could do my own chapters. The problem is uh, time. Uh, as you pointed out, I write a lot. I write mystery, horror, and science fiction. And I got short stories and I have my own podcast, All Things Writing. So I really didn't have a ton of time. So I wanted to talk to somebody in the industry who was an expert who could help me, maybe help me decide whether it's something I really wanted to do on my own. Uh, I'm not against bringing someone else on board to help me out. Yeah. So did you meet an expert at that seminar or <laughs> <laughs> i did there was this uh there was this lady josie ellis yes <laughs> yes i i know her well and and think much <laughs> of her <laughs> so so let's let's back up the bus a little bit before we get into the writing and the podcasting and all of those things that you do who are you when you're not behind your keyboard or your uh typewriter I don't think I exist without those things. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I am originally from uh, the city of Chicago, South Chicago, uh, Chicago Heights to be exact. Uh, I spent a lot of time living in uh, Minnesota. I was, I'm an army veteran. I was in the military for 17 years. I've been a, a scout leader. I've been a leader in my church. I'm a, I'm a dog walker, dog daddy kind of guy. And, uh, by the way, if you hear some barks every once in a while, that's, that's my dog. And I guess, uh, you know, that that's kind of me in a nutshell. I don't have time for much else. Writing and podcasting and keeping my wife in books is actually my major goal uh, 
in life these days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good thing that needs to be done. Right. So, um, so first off, thank you for your military service. I appreciate that you did that for us. You talked about being in Minnesota. I remember when I appeared on your podcast, we discovered that that you and Josie actually graduated from the same high school. Uh, you were probably in the same right. hallways at the same time. It's it's probably, yeah, uh, Minnetonka High School uh, many, many years ago. And then I, I went from Minnetonka to uh, Mankato State in uh, lovely Mankato, Minnesota. Yeah. Love the town of Mankato, uh, by the way. It's, it's, it's a cool little town, although the roads were built by... They just laid spaghetti down and said that works. Um, there but, you go. You know. Yeah. Let's talk about your podcast for a moment. Sure. So uh, I am the host of All Things Writing. It started with this idea that I was going through my own writing journey. And whenever you start on your own writing journey, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of uh, barriers perceived and real that you don't even know about. Um and I didn't know about it at the time. So I thought it might be kind of fun to start recording uh, a bit of what what I was going through and uh, offering to take other people along with me. There are things that I learned, things that I picked up, things that I read, uh, conversations I had. And I started to realize that there's a lot of other writers, authors, people uh, in the industry like yourself who might want to come on and talk about what they have uh, to offer. And, and I, I've always loved, uh, Scott Ellis's, uh, Scott Ellis reads approach to audiobook production because it focuses not just on the end product. It focuses, you know, there is more of a holistic look at the, not just the project, but the author themselves. And I, I think that's, that's laudable because all things writing is about education and that's a big part of what you do. So that's that's sort of why we exist. Listeners, if you are a, a writer, go and listen to the podcast. You'll hear other people talk about their process and, and their journey and learn a lot from them. And readers, go check it out. It's an excellent opportunity to hear about uh, some new authors that you may never have discovered before. And you can you can find their work. So people who might want to reach out to you to be interviewed on your podcast. Maybe they have a, a book or two and, uh, or they're in the industry somehow, some way, how would they get in contact with you? Sure. I am uh, very, very hard to get a hold of said no author ever. Um, <laughs> you can, uh, you can reach me at my website, uh, which is briannowak.com. You can also just reach out to me via email, uh, briantherwriter at briannowak.com. Now that is Brian with a Y. I spell it the Scottish way, not the Irish way. Um, and uh, that's really the easiest way to get a hold of me. You can, you can hit me up on Facebook too. You can hit me up on Twitter. You can, yeah. Uh, if you're an author and you're not findable, well, you're not doing it right. Uh, yeah, that is priority number one. Make sure yeah. that people can find your work. Yeah. Well, let's talk about one work specifically. Um, okay. You, uh, through Scott Ellis Reads, you had Tom Hare narrate a piece that you did called uh, Codename Formula 12. Yes. yes. Uh, Codename Formula 12. That was a labor of love for me. So. 
Codename Formula 12 started with this idea that there was a video game out there that I had always wanted to play. And that video game uh, with, is a, you're a Nazi scientist and it's World War II and you need to fight your way from, uh, you're, you're, in a, you're in a German bioweapons lab and you need to fight your way through the German lines and then the allied lines and then to England where you can synthesize the antidote to a bioweapon that you yourself had released. Well, okay, so that video game does not exist. If you want to option me for the video game rights, please reach out to me because uh, you have no idea how much I want to play this game. Uh, but anyway, the idea took to sit down and write the novel. And first it was going to be a full-length novel. That was my plan. But uh, when you're a writer, you your your number one uh, rule should be to let the story tell itself. Don't try to pigeonhole the story. So it ended up being a novella, which I was very, very happy with uh, at the end. I approached uh, Dreampunk Press about uh, publishing it for me, which they said they would. And uh, it, it just turned out very, very well. Um, it's written in, uh, in epistolary format, which is to say that if you've read Dracula, you know it's it's written in uh, uh, it's written almost like in an interview. It's it's actually a transcript of an interview by U.S. Army intelligence, where they are talking with the doctor. The doctor is telling him or telling the interview what happens. But this is a horror novel, and I wanted the I don't want the reader to like the doctor. That's my goal. I want you to have to root for him because I'm not giving you any choice. But I want you to have to sort of see kind of the seedier side of things that can happen when we decide that we want to do something and don't really think through the repercussions of our actions. Um, the doctor accidentally releases a virus into Berlin and it sort of takes over. Uh, now, interestingly enough, everything that's mentioned in the book are places that I've all been to, uh, that I've been to personally. Uh, I lived in Berlin for three years, love the city of Berlin. Uh, if you ever get the chance to go, highly, highly encourage you to do so. Spend at least a week and a half. It, it's a big city. But it's it, it was so much fun to sort of revisit those places, but go back, you know, a bunch of decades and, and, you know, look at it through that lens. Yeah. So let's listen to the sample uh, narrated by Tom Hare. So this is... Um... Codename Formula 12, written by Brian Nowak, narrated by Tom Hare. It's available on uh, Audible, Amazon.com, and Apple Books. Uh, runs just over two and a half hours. Uh, can you set this scene for us that we're going to hear? Sure. This is at the very beginning of the book. Uh, th this takes place in 1946. Dr. Schmitz is sitting down with the this U.S. Army uh, medical intelligence uh, interrogator. And what they're talking about, he, he's reflecting to a certain degree on uh, his own arrogance and how he, you're getting some initial regret from him about what happened. Not, And you'll find out later, it's not really regret because he feels bad about what happened. It's regret that he didn't manage the whole process a little bit better. Um, he thinks about his own arrogance. He also, we also meet the interviewer in this clip uh, who is reminding Dr. Schmitz that uh, although, although he had 
done things wrong. The only reason that he's been saved, the only reason he's not dangling from a rope at Nuremberg is because at this point, the Soviets are trying to do the exact same thing that Dr. Schmitz had done on his own in Germany. All right, let's let it roll. I was working with several examples of the bioweapon I was sure would give the Third Reich the very thing it needed to ensure victory over the Allies. I see now I was arrogant, and will pay for my crimes, perhaps at the end of an executioner's rope. I suppose it is better to say that I shall burn in hell for the crimes I committed. Here on earth I shall be condemned to work on this Frankenstein's monster I have created for many years to come. But perhaps I have become a little wiser. I was working at my test tubes in the laboratory at the end of the airfield when a noise roused me from my careful measurements. I turned and saw my old friend and close colleague, Colonel Eric Hauptmann, enter the room with his usual large smile. He said, Greetings, Herr Dr. Schmitz. I bring all the best salutations from Berlin. He had a smile that could brighten the sun itself. A welcome sight to see after spending too much time in my cramped laboratory. Not that it mattered, but he was a large man, being of northern Prussian ancestry of the purest kind. Striking man, really. I inquired of him if he had a good trip from Juvencourt Airfield in occupied France. You understand, made small talk, as you Americans say, as I went about finishing up my experiment. I knew the real reason for his visit was that I had promised results. Fortunately, I had something positive to report. As I am sure you are aware now, Official reports of German successes on the battlefield were infused with fabrication, and the officers, of which I was a commissioned colonel, knew the reality. At that time, we understood the war would be lost if we didn't find a new weapon soon. This was my task. A bio-weapon, to end all question of who is the dominant power on earth. Did you ever think what would happen if a gas could be spread on the field of battle which not only would ultimately kill intended victims, but throw them into a rage, turn them into killing machines, willing to rip their comrades limb from limb? Ah, yeah, a great leap forward in warfare. Don't look at me with such content, gentlemen. I know how it sounds. I caution you to stay your judgment. I am a bioweapon scientist, not a madman. If you don't think the Soviets are doing the same, you are either a fool or insane. Interviewer, we wouldn't insinuate such a thing, doctor, or we wouldn't be having this conversation while other members of your party are occupying a cell in Nuremberg. Please, continue. Dr. Schmitz. Well, anyway, I continued my small talk with Eric as I worked. 
He was here to witness my greatest triumph to date. The next experiment was a practical test of my latest formula. And I was optimistic. We were so close to making it work. I had it fine-tuned to work on primates, and I ushered Eric over to the viewing area. I said, You see, Eric, in these cages we have three monkeys. I motioned to my assistant, Fräulein Weber, to initiate the trial. She naturally did exactly as instructed, and prepared to lower the glass patrician between where we were standing and the caged animals. I took out a syringe from the drawer, and drew in a measured amount of my latest formula, F-12, as I numbered the formulas. Eric looked on and asked, Ulf, does the formula pose a threat to us, standing here? No, it doesn't. Until it mixes with blood, it will not be fully activated. Then you will see what it can do. Before we continue this interview, this episode is brought to you in part by ScottEllisReads.com. Let's take a moment and hear more about ScottEllisReads.com. If you are a narrator, consider joining the team of Scott Ellis Reads. They take care of everything so that you just do what you do best. Narrate. Scott's team will find auditions for you, negotiate contracts, proof your narration, edit, and master your files. They have a seamless workflow that will keep everyone moving through your projects in a timely manner. Or, if you would like to just have Scott Ellis Reads assist with your current or future projects, you are able to work independently as a narrator, but can still use the post-production benefits when you need them. I joined the team and I really enjoy that I don't have to worry about where my work is going. There is a wonderful team of editors and everyone is readily available to answer any questions I have. To learn more, visit scottellisreads.com or email info at scottellisreads.com. We look forward to seeing you on the team. Thank you for listening. Now let's get back to this interview. All right, there's a good point to stop that. So, you know, you've done a great job in this book of, as you say, um, you you don't want to like the doctor, but you find yourself forced to have to kind of root for him. It's almost like that old saying of, you know, the the characters you love to hate and hate to love, right? Yep. Um, you've you've made your reader or listener really have to get involved in the story because they're 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 thinking the whole time uh where am i in in liking these characters or not yeah. liking these characters what do i want to happen and and you know if you want to know what happened you got to buy the book it's available on amazon.com uh, audible.com and apple books runs about two and a half hours so definitely check it out it, so, it has a bit of a twist ending, we will say. Yes. <laughs> no spoilers here, no spoilers. <laughs> so let's let's talk about kind of your writing style. You you mentioned that you're familiar with the places uh that the book is set. You've been yes. there, you're you're a very well-traveled author and human. Um and I know from listening to your podcast that you consider yourself a pantser. 
Can you I am talk about what that means and what the alternative is and how that works? So we've talked about it on the podcast before, uh, this idea between a uh, pantser and a plotter. And what a pantser is, is, you know, comes from the old saying, fly by the seat of your pants. Uh, you just start writing and you let the story flow out of you and go where it will. The opposite end of that spectrum being a plotter, somebody that sits down and they work out what every chapter and every paragraph is going to say, and what's the main motivation behind this paragraph. And all. Now, the problem with those two, uh, the, those two different extremes, I think, is that you are, they're, they're, almost, they're almost sort of outdated because the reality is, is we're all in between pantser or plotter. We're somewhere in that spectrum. Even I, uh, for my, my true pantser uh, credentials, I will say that I know, like uh, Formula 12 is a great example. I knew the doctor's story before I ever wrote down the first words. That's to say that I knew who he was, I know what he had done, and I knew where I wanted him to end up. I knew I wanted him to end up more or less a disgraced scientist. Um, but how do I get him there? That's a whole nother story. Uh, wh what does that final sentence look like? I don't know because I hadn't written it yet. And it was, it was sort of this thing where I sat down and, and I knew... I just saw him sitting in this interview room. Uh, it's it's cliche, but like almost a naked light bulb hanging over the top of him and, you know, an interview sitting there. And this is 1946. So he has a reel to reel tape sitting there and he's recording. And, uh, you know, the interview is sitting there with it with a cigarette. And he's smoking and he maybe offers the, the, the doctor a cigarette and they uh, and, and they just start talking. And I, I felt like. The doctor is arrogant. His arrogance rolls off him because he's smarter than everyone else. And on some level, that's absolutely true. But also on another level, it's his arrogance that makes him dumb. Mm. It's his arrogance that leads to ignorance, ignorant of what his own limitations were, blind to those own limitations. The interviewer knows what happened. This is not new information for him. Uh, the interview's job is to get it written down in a report so that they can process it. And uh, so that's why the interview takes place. But none of that existed before I hit those first keys. Once I hit those first keys, then, then the story started coming. Uh, it's, it's not a cliche to say that I woke up in the middle of the night and went, oh yeah, that's what happens. And I ran downstairs and I started working on it, or I started writing things down. So I knew I had it captured somehow. Um, it's not the first time it's ever happened to me. Uh, I've woken up from nightmares before run downstairs and wrote the first three pages of a, of a short story that I later sold. Wow. Wow. Well, so I've had to step out of the interview for a moment. You know, technology was doing what it wanted with us the day that we recorded this. Uh, so from this point of the interview and on, uh, Brian, the writer, is going to sound the same, but I'm going to sound a little different. I might do some more of these little jump-ins so that uh, it has the best quality that we can possibly get, but, you know, technology is what it is. So I was asking Brian at this point about the difference between being a pantser and a plotter 
and if he'd ever painted himself into a corner. This is his answer. 100%. Yeah. You know, the, there are there are a couple different ways you deal with that. And I uh, the, the problem is, is you th- there's a great uh, there's a great Thomas Edison quote, uh, Thomas Edison quote out there. And uh, they uh, and I don't know how true it is, but they asked him, you know, th- this is your 2000th way to try and make a light bulb and you failed. And he said, no, I haven't failed. Uh, I now know 2000 ways that don't work. Uh, and, you know, to a certain extent, that is what you learn every time you make an error. Uh, I just had a um, so there's a there's a book. You can't see it, uh, but it's up on my screen right now. It's it's the, the document. Uh, it's going to be the third book in the Dramatic Dead series. It's I finally got it to where I liked it, but I marched down 30,000 words and I couldn't use any of it. The trouble was I was trying, I, I had an idea in my head for who I wanted the central character of the storyline to be. The problem is, is that I was being disingenuous to the other two books and it, I didn't realize it. Uh, I didn't realize that that's actually what I was doing. So it took me a while and I finally, I finally said, all right. I need to I need to fix all of this. And uh, I ended up having to just scrub, eat those 30,000 words. But I learned a lot. I learned a little bit more about writing a human emotion, writing about despair. The problem is, is the, the books, the first two books are not despair driven. There's not a lot of feeling sorry for oneself in those books. So it, it didn't work. And when I realized that and realized that that, that story wasn't, wasn't connecting, um, realizing what I had done wrong, uh, I, I circled back around and I started with a fresh page. Um, and I started pushing my way through. And as, as soon as I realized that, as soon as I realized what I was missing and I started going down that way, uh, it clicked. And all of a sudden I found myself with 76,000 words because I knew now there, there are a few things, a few central themes that I was able to keep. There was the, the crux of the mystery that I was able to still salvage, but dialogue relationships. No, I had to flush all of it. I wasn't being genuine to the characters. And that is, that's maybe your second rule of writing. Don't, don't forget about your characters. They get a vote. And it, it sounds like, you know, being a pantser, it allows you to let those characters grow um, kind of organically and over time as they might through mm-hmm. the writing of a novel where when you're, you're planning it and you're sketching it out and it hasn't fully fleshed out, um, the characters are who you dreamed up while the novel was half produced, you know, or, or half in your mind. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an interesting, uh, kind of way to think about the, the writing and, and yeah, 30,000 words, you know, just kind of serves up to be a lesson. Well, it's me again from the outside looking in. 
This is actually a pretty interesting perspective uh, to be able to comment on the podcast interview while I'm editing it. So we got talking about that quote that he used from Thomas Edison. It uh, is one of my favorites as well. And what it says to me is that we don't fail and that we can learn from everything. So the next thing Brian and I were going to talk about is, you know, those middle-of-the-night brainstorms. How do you decide what kind of a book that wants to be or which character belongs to that scene or that scene belongs to what character? I don't know. It's How does that work, Brian? Um, so let me, I, I just want to, so the, you like trigger warnings, you know, you need to add tr- trigger warning, right? So I'm just going to say to all of you authors down there, sit down, maybe grab a, a brown paper bag to breathe into in case you hyperventilate. Uh, I don't, I, I just don't, uh, the, the story that you write and th- this comes from established, uh, you know, half a million dollar, $1 million authors. Uh, This is not, I didn't make this up. You have to write the story that's in front of you. You cannot, you can't pigeonhole, you can't say this is going to be a science fiction story. This is going to be a horror story. You just have to sit down and write. What will happen is that the organic formulaic uh, magic, goodness, I don't know, it's just, it's like they say, I start writing as uh, magic happens and then a book comes out. Uh, there is a, when I start writing a Bagorian Chronicles type uh, science fiction novel, uh, it's, it's, it's relationship driven, it's character driven, it's dialogue. Those relationships between those characters are what matters. What what lipstick we want to put on the pig later on? Well, that's 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 for you know that's for future Brian to decide. Um, I don't now. I the the difference is so for a horror novel. Like I, I'm actually just started working on a new project this morning. Um, it, horror novels tend to be that my first chapter um, tends to be. I want you to, okay, so quick story. I was, at a, I was at a convention and somebody bought one of my books, Crimson Tassels. And anybody who's read Crimson Tassels will tell you in that first chapter, something horrible happens. Um, somebody screamed out. This, the guy who had bought the book actually yelled out when he got to that point from the other side of the room. And I could hear him clearly. Uh, and I went, ah, I know where he's at. <laughs> um, that is the essence of a first chapter in uh in, in a horror novel is you've got to get them horror fans look for something in, in the immediacy um Begorian chronicles of sci-fi novels we tend to want to see more of that world build up we want to see i'm granted you, you need your hook in there but there has to be a little bit more like uh the second uh, the usurper's throne uh, starts with a spacecraft taking off. Um, there's a rather amusing section where the engines fire up and it actually incinerates a family of birds in a tree that happens to be next to it. And the birds don't know any different because the trees have been there forever and ever, and they've always lived in those trees. But what changed was now the landing pad, which had been abandoned for years, is now producing spacecraft. So, but the birds had no way of knowing that. Um, 
Whereas in the mysteries, you're really looking more at uh, the interpersonal relationships and the, the, you're looking at interior tension, right? You want your private investigators to be walking around and, and they're perplexed with their problem and they don't know how they can overcome it. And, uh, you know, how do I do this? Who do I call? All that great stuff. Um, but other than that, uh, other than having things fit into those sort of, those sort of bins, um, I, I never want to tell the story that it cannot be written. You want to, you want the story to write itself. Brian, one of the things that I really, really like about you is you are, you don't keep your, your trade secrets and, and your, the, the learns you've learned <laughs> to yourself you're so willing to teach and and to share. And I want to go back to your podcast for a moment. You know, you you drop in these nuggets in all of your interviews, but some episodes where you're not interviewing someone, it's just you talking about the process of writing, the steps to writing, how to get involved in writing. Um, so listeners absolutely check him out if you're looking to improve your craft as a writer. And Brian, you have some official channels for people that want to learn uh, from the, the, you know, at the, at the knee of the master. Uh, <laughs> talk about that and how that works. So I always say that uh, probably not the knee of the master, but uh, the knee of the guy who's already been through it. Uh, Cause I, you know, if you ask 60 different authors how to become a successful author, you're going to get 120 different opinions easily. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, is people sit around and there are people listening to this show right now saying to themselves, gosh, I, I know I can be a writer. I have a novel inside of me. I have no idea how to make that happen. Uh, what, what I offer is uh, I've been working on this uh, seminar series. It's on Freshly. Uh, freshly, that's the name. But yeah, uh, the it gets you. I call it beyond the seat. And the reason I call it beyond the seat is because when people come up to me and a lot of authors and they say, "Well, how do I become a writer?" We always say, and I'm I'm guilty of this too. So it's not just other writers, uh, you know. But in seat, but in seat. Okay, well, what does that mean? It actually, it, it's kind of useless and useless advice to to a certain extent. Although it's accurate, uh, you know, there are things that happen. You know, how do you start writing in a regimen? How do you come up with a, so I always say start with 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, an hour, you know, work on those kinds of things. But, okay, what do you do when you're done? What, let's say you have that first, that, that first uh, manuscript done. How do you take that and move that from there to an editor, from an editor? to a publisher how do you find cover art how do you how do you get this uploaded into amazon which is actually i'm going to focus you know i'm focusing on getting it uploaded to amazon because once you kind of learn that you sort of learned all the systems it's really not that hard uh how do you format how do you format a book uh, these are all important parts to uh to getting you move past and i i think that uh but in seat really, it doesn't actually work uh, from the standpoint of getting people moving forward. So it's it's called beyond the seat. 
for, for that reason. And it's a series of 10 seminars. And uh, I, I, I always like to say that that last time that that 10 seminar is a secret. Although I will say that secret may feature somebody's voice you may have heard on the show today. That's not mine. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it, it kind of helps you get through those initial things and, and get you to the point where you're on the other side of the process. Yeah, that's wonderful. What a, what a great opportunity. And I'm, I'm so glad that you offer that to people because. Oh, oh, and I should probably say, okay, so it's a seminar. I do have some assignments in there. You don't have to turn them into me. If you don't want to, that's fine. But uh, as an added bonus, uh, if you do, I'm going to give you feedback. So. Great. Well, it's it's a great opportunity. And, you know, we need so many people to take advantage of of your offerings because, you know, we want more writers. We want human writers. We want to beat down this uh, move to AI. I don't even want to go down that path. Ryan will never stop. Right <laughs> now, because nobody wants to see me cry or hear me cry for that. Boy, I told you that audio quality changed, didn't it? But some of those comments were of mine were, uh, you know, pretty authentic, and I wanted to leave them in as they appeared in the original interview. You know, you're here to listen to Brian anyway, right? So then I asked Brian to go back to the audiobook for a moment, Codename Formula 12, narrated by Tom Hare, and talk about the process and the procedure a little bit. This is what he had to say. Um, I, you know, I suppose I just want to say that, uh, you know, there, there is a relationship aspect to uh, when you are when you are doing an audiobook, And I think it's really important for people to uh, be comfortable with the process, be comfortable with the people you're working with. Uh, Tom did an amazing job with the narration. I really, really thought uh, the hard part is uh, getting those foreign accents right. But not making them sound so much like foreign accents that you're not going to understand them, but making it clear that's what they are. And he did an amazing job with that. Um, the entire, if I can gush a little bit, the entire process working with Scott Ellis was fantastic. Start to finish. And I really, you know, I, I have no regrets. I'm, I'm looking forward to having uh, books done in the future uh, through Scott Ellis Reads because I think it's, why am I going to try and do it? It's I don't have time for that. People need me to write words and produce podcasts. So. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate those kind words. I must owe you money or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, I, not, not that I'm aware of, but if you do, <laughs> I'll find you. All right. <laughs> you know where to find me. That's um, right. Well, I wanted to bounce back in one more time just to kind of do a nice clear wrap up. Yes, Brian knows where to find me if I should owe him money, but I really don't think I do. But one never knows. But you can find him at briannowak.com. Uh, you can look for his podcast, uh, All Things Writing. And remember, anytime you use Brian, you got to use it with that why. Since we recorded this, he has also started his own YouTube channel. So head out to youtube.com, type in Brian the Writer, and up he will pop. And uh, the nice part about that is you'll get to actually put a name to a face and see what he looks like. Um, Brian is a 
great guy. He's a great author. I really hope that you will check him out. I really enjoyed my time being able to interview him. I'm so sorry for the technological snafus that happened, but, uh, you know, that'll happen in this industry. But I just uh, needed to let you all hear that interview. So we'll see you next time. Remember to support those small businesses. Support your authors like Brian Nowak. One of the greatest gifts that you can give a writer is to go back to the purchase place where you bought the book and leave a review. Be honest, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, they really need to have those reviews. You don't know how much they help a writer. So read his books, listen to the audio, and then most importantly, go back and review it. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2024. It's going to be a great season three of Let's Talk with Scott Ellis. I'm looking forward to moving forward.